Hey associates, this lecture is on kind of the basics for structure and editing when it comes to our you know, professional, business, administrative, technical, just our technical comm, info design, discipline, and genres. Um, so as a just like small reminder for you, um, you can, you might be listening to this as a podcast hi um or you might be watching the video um you can find both versions linked in our canvas shell um so whatever kind of suits you and meets your needs uh, i have also linked the kind of a reference quick note big idea uh sway in the canvas shell um so you can definitely check that out and do some more reading for some of the you know just textbooks or things that i reference in this presentation all right let's just get to it. Um, what I want to focus on in terms of structure, editing basics, is just the things that will help you be more confident as writers and ultimately get past what you think is instinctual and into kind of solid reasons and language for your choices. A lot of what we do as writers, especially in this kind of field, um, is going to feel like, oh yeah, I feel like I, I did know to do that, but you didn't know to do that. Um, so one of the things we're going to do today is just put some of that actual uh, naming and reason behind the things that we do. All right. So um, we're going to talk about four kind of big things in this lecture. First, writing for our readers. And we really just need to remember what, when, and why as the starting point for all of our documents. Then we're going to talk about some organizational patterns, just basically ways to uh, structure your information uh, that's going to help get your point across best and help your readers. We'll go over some real basics of mechanics. Um, and I'm going to give you some resources for if you need to dive deeper, but I'm just going to go over the most common kind of workplace sort of public uh, issues, errors that actually hurt what we're trying to say, and that most readers um, are able to pick up on and notice. Um, you can take whole entire courses. Literally, we have an advanced editing course um, that really gets into some of those details if you plan on becoming a writer. But for most of us who are just going to be writing as part of our jobs, we're going to focus on the those common errors that actually tend to hurt sort of public reception of what we're trying to say. Uh, and then last, we're going to talk about strong verbs, which is one of the best ways to increase our writing, get to the point more quickly, and help people understand. And it's really because at the end of the day, our whole goal as technical writers, as professional writers, is just to make it as easy as possible for our readers. Uh, they are busy, they are reading usually for some sort of work situation or because they need to make a decision, complete a task, they have goals, they have purpose, and so we want to make sure it is as fast and easy and clear for them to get to their end goal as possible. You know, unlike creative writing um, or some of the other fields and disciplines, people aren't reading sort of front to back um, and they aren't reading because it's fun for them and they want to, you know, escape. They're reading because they really have to, and they're looking for us to present that information quickly. So writing for our readers, they just want to dive into our work. The ways that they do this, uh, our readers tend to skim and scan and skip. They tend to look at our work, whether it is, you know, a report with very clear sections or an infographic or even an email. They tend to look for the information that they actually want, the information they need, and then they might go back for the details if we sort of hook them in enough. So it's definitely not one of those. Let me start with the very first word and read linearly all the way through till your last word um, that a lot of other kind of types of writing might expect. For us, it's very much okay, let me skin, skim, let me scan, let me figure out, okay, here's when that thing is due, here's the action I need to take, oh, I already completed step three, now I need to jump down to step four. Um, they're trying to dive into that section that they want most, so we have to make it very easy for them to accomplish that goal. Now, some of the ways that we help to accomplish that and for specific genres, of course, we'll get into some of those sections and details 
down the road, um, but no matter what we're writing, the first step is to figure out what. What is our audience's deal? And with that, we're thinking about demographics, um, so kind of the characteristics that can describe them, um, as well as psychographics, some of those more uh, sort of mental, emotional motivators and characteristics. Uh, both of them help us describe who it is that we're writing to. Uh, and we want to figure out things like their knowledge level, their interest, what role do they have kind of in the action or the situation. So that's a very abstract example. Let's say that we have this new um, type of test standard. Uh, maybe it's, you know, for a lab type situation, um, or if you're in marketing, maybe it's more of like a new product. Let's just imagine we have a new kind of test standards that our lab is going to run. So we have one group and their deal are the field techs, right? And the field techs have a very different deal than the sales team, but both are gonna need information about this new test standard that we're running. So what's the deal with the field techs? All right, uh, well, they have a lot of knowledge about kind of the ins and outs of the lab equipment and the tests and how the tests might be different from other tests. Um, certainly their role in this situation is much more active in doing this new test, whereas our sales team, right, what is their deal? Well, their deal is much more interfacing with clients and promoting it. They need to understand the big picture, some of the values, the benefits, um, and they aren't actually doing right, any of these tests. They need to be really good at talking about the test and why we have this new test. So those two different groups just have a different deal, which means we're going to have to create content that's different for each group to make sure they have the information they need to actually do their jobs. So after we figure out what, what is my reader's deal, then we want to think about when. So often, right, people are going to be uh, using our information different, different, different times, different places, locations, events, and when we write it. Um, and so we do want to just take a beat and think about when are they going to use it and when will they need the info. So if we're thinking back to our field text, right, they need the information probably out in the field or out in the lab. Um, and so the way that we create the document is going to be a little bit different, right? They might not have internet access. So maybe we actually have to make a physical copy for them. And maybe that physical copy needs to be more, you know, water resistant and able to get like dirty. Um, it can't just be a piece of paper that they bring with them. Maybe we have to make it a smaller size. Um, so those are some like win considerations um, that we do have to, to think about. And if it does have to be a printed copy, that also means we can't really make them a video and just, you know, embed it or link to it. We're going to have to take some extra time to write out the steps for them. On the other hand, the sales folks, they're going to need this information probably when they're prepping for a client meeting um, or maybe as something they could actually give to the clients. Uh, and so they might have more reliable internet access. It might make more sense for their information to be in more of a website that they could share out uh, or more of like a digital copy. There's also might be more designed since it is going to be public facing um, because their information is just going to be different when they'll actually be using it, needing it. And then last, the big question, the why. Really, that's the most important one to ask. We always want to know what's their deal, when will they use it, but why are they using it is our most important factor here. Um, and our purpose, we'll practice purpose statements a lot this semester as well, but the purpose of our document really always has to relate to the audience's why. And if you are having a hard time writing your purpose statement, it might be a signal to revisit and make sure you actually checked in on the why for your target reader. Um, and so for our major projects this semester, I will give you scenarios that are going to help you really just understand the why um, for just like the work, what that assignment, that project is. And I want you to use those scenarios just to help imagine your what, when, and most importantly, your why for your audience. So things we're really thinking about. Why do, you know, why do they need to read this? Um, like, what is the point there? Why would they care about this? Why would your document be valuable to them? 
Um, and so the field text, they need to read it um, because they need to complete the lab test correctly, right? They have to be able to follow the process to get the data, you know, correct. And it's going to be valuable only if we have really clear processes, probably more illustrations um, and safety notes, right? It's going to be valuable if they know what new precautions are coming with this test. Uh, and again, we think about the win and that impacts how we would present it. The sales folks, on the other hand, they need the information to talk with the clients. Why do they want it? So they want to be able to like sell and get their clients, you know, excited and interested in this new product. So what's going to be valuable for them is probably more of like the benefits and the general outcomes and comparing, you know, this test to other tests uh, and how that is going to give, you know, a better return on investment to the clients. Um, and so we can start to see as we unpack the uh, what, what's their deal, why are they going to use it, why do they need it, how the same information, the same topic suddenly becomes, you know, a very different final product and different content gets included and we do have to write it differently. One for people on the ground who are going to be using and trying to follow steps and doing the test versus maybe other people in the office who are trying to sell it and understand the benefits and how somebody might use it um, really comes into play. So just one more kind of example because we have to repeat things to get it into our brain. So I really just want you to remember what, when, why. So for some of these class materials, right? What is your deal? Or what do I imagine your deal is? Uh, you have various kind of knowledge levels, right? I understand this class, some of you, you know, have not written much at all or haven't written in quite a while. Uh, others of you, you know, might have just come out of like that prior English class. Um, others of you have gone out and actually worked in the industry and are coming back um, with some of that knowledge. So I recognize knowledge levels very different across the board. So I'm kind of imagining what I need to create. And then what does that mean for me? The important step is identify it and then take a beat to think, what does that mean for me as a writer? And for me, it means I need to define terms um, in very kind of clear ways. One of the ways to define terms clearly is to provide examples and try to think of or a variety of examples. Um, so that way something will kind of stick and res resonate with you. So that's kind of the what I'm imagining, right? What's your deal? Well, your students and you have different levels of background with these genres and this information. Uh, and so you might not know, right, all of the terms and the words. Um, and so what's your deal? You really want to see some examples so you feel more confident. When are you going to be using these materials? Well, I recognize and imagine you have other classes, you have family obligations, you have social events, you might have a work, you just have a lot of stuff happening. And so what does that mean for me? I need to create materials that you can use and access at different places and different times. And you might not be sitting at your computer, right? You might be in the car, you might be walking around campus, you might have 10 minutes, you might have, you know, two hours. Um, and so for me, just making sure that I have those multiple formats so that way you can use the materials when you need them and when you're able to. And then last, why? Thinking about motivators, you know, as I imagine y'all, this is a required course. So you, your key motivator is passing the projects, passing the class, which means you're using these materials uh, to figure out what you need to do, right, on these assignments, um, as well as how you can be a better, you know, writer, speaker, sort of communicator in your job. So what does that mean for me? I want to try to simplify things without losing accuracy, right? So this is an intro level, sort of 2000 level class. Um, so, you know, I want to make sure you have the information and the skills and the knowledge, but being 2000 level means we aren't diving super, super deep into a single topic. It's more of making sure that you have a lot of tools in your tool belt, in your tool belt. Um, and then I also want to try to connect it to various long-term goals against scenario situations. So that way you can stay a little bit more motivated when it's a class you didn't necessarily opt to take, but rather had to take. So what, when, why? Answer those questions about your audience and you'll be in a really good place to create valuable, helpful, professional documents. 
So the second thing we're going to talk about is just various organizational patterns. There's a lot of ways we can set up our writing. Um, and that's one of the cool things that I love about our field, but also one of the things I've seen that students kind of struggle with or just have to navigate in the past um, is that we don't necessarily have super, super strict, it has to be this way, um, but more what are the most efficient ways to share the information you need with your what, when, why of the audience. So here's kind of the most common ones um, that we're really looking at thinking about. So let's say that you need to explain, you know, a series of tasks. So if we're, again, thinking about our field text, right, they need to understand the instruction set. So whenever we want to, you know, explain a series of tasks or how events occurred, um, we usually end up with some sort of chronological based, which basically means, you know, do the first thing first, explain the first thing first. Um, there are times where we do reverse chronological, like with a resume, um, because for those readers, they want to know the most recent thing that you did. Um, but typically, if it's any sort of series-based um, information, you'll be thinking about chronological. So think of a calendar or think of steps. Um, if you need to describe like a tangible thing, especially, so maybe it's a physical object or a scene, such as a device, a location, um, you might do more of a spatial situation. So basically organize it by explaining maybe top to bottom of the component, um, maybe go east to west um, if you're trying to describe locations of buildings on campus, um, or maybe go sort of inside to the outside of the thing. Um, those of you in more of like the STEM side will probably um, be using this pattern a lot more often um, than those in other kind of contexts, um, but definitely that's one way to do it. Um, if you need to explain an idea or present elements of an idea, probably you're going to want to go either more important to less important or sort of broad to specific. So you can kind of think of the inverted triangle, um, give us kind of the most important ideas or the biggest ideas and then start to funnel down. It tends to work really well because it starts to sort of orient the reader um, and the small details usually rely on and connect to the bigger, more broad details. So it can just be really helpful to start with like the big picture and then get more and more specific. Um, if we go things like most important to least important, it also gives our readers a chance to stop out um, and stop reading um, or skim to what they also think is important. Um, we also might often compare items. And so if we're comparing items, right, so you need to present, you know, similarities, differences, pros, cons, this, that, um, you know, you might create an organizational pattern that basically you want to make it easy for your reader to jump between the two of them. And so, yes, things like tables, we'll get into visuals, you know, later in the semester. We love that. Um, but you'll see when um, you do some projects like the proposal or the research project uh, where you might be comparing like solutions or opportunities. In that case, it can be very helpful to pick like the factors of that solution, of the two solutions, and then put them in the same order. So as a reader, I can say, okay, what is the cost of solution one and directly see the cost of solution two. And now both of those pieces of information are in my brain and then go to what's the effectiveness of solution one What's the effectiveness of solution two? Um, sometimes that can be easier for readers to process in doing cost and effectiveness of solution one, cost and effectiveness of solution two. Um, but both can work. Just really think about how easy is it for your reader to jump between the categories of information. Um, and so I am also, this is linked um, for you in the reference guide on Canvas, um, but just to kind of fill in, I'm giving you, I'm going to give you some more examples uh, from this table. Um, and so again, you might discuss things like strengths and weaknesses. 
um, and think about, okay, do you want to do all the strengths together, all the weaknesses together, or are there themes of strengths you can put together? Um, so you might discuss all the factors related to one item, then all the factors related to the next, or discuss one factor as it relates to everything, then another factor as it relates to everything. So basically, comparing items is super common, um, but it can get a little bit messy sometimes. And so what I usually opt for is grouping. Again, I'm going to talk about all of the costs right here. So that way, if my finance people want to jump right into my cost comparison, they don't have to skip around to different sections, right? And maybe if I want to talk about um, the desirability or the public sentiment. I'm going to do all of that in one section for every item or solution I'm comparing. So that way my public relations folks can just read and skip to that section and have the content that they want. Um, okay, so the other things that we tend to do, discussing a problem or identifying effects. Usually we're going to want to organize that in sort of a process, a cycle. So um, like a problems method solution. So you introduce the problem, you talk about how you investigate the problem, you offer the solutions and that circles back around to how it solves the problem. Same with the cause and effect. Here's the cause. Here's what happened because of the cause. Here's what we're going to do to avoid that cause in the future. Um, and so that cycle, that pattern is usually going to go in some form of past, present, future, and around and around it goes. Uh, so those are kind of the most common. There's a few other specific types of organization um, that you could follow, but no matter what, if you don't remember anything except for this, I want you to think about the topic details next, right? So we have all those specific patterns that can be really helpful, but no matter what, we want you to do topic details next and basically just tell them. Another thing that I see a lot of students kind of struggle with when they start writing in these kind of genres is kind of getting uh, lost in their own ideas and trying to expand it and fill more of the, the space and the page. No, just tell them what needs to be said. And that's it. And do it by introducing the topic, giving them the details, and then moving them to the next topic, giving them the next steps, the so what. And we can actually do this topic details next structure scaled all the way up to a dissertation if you kind of go into a research right, field. Uh, so my dissertation is, you know, 300 pages, still followed a general topic, right? My introductory chapter explained, here's the big topic of my research. Then the next six chapters gave me the details. And then my last chapter said, so what? Next steps, implications. So we can do it in a big scale, but we can also do it as small as an email. The purpose of my email is XYZ. Here's the details of the meeting. Here's what you need to do next. Reply, tell me if you're coming, right? So it can be huge on you know, chapter level, or it could be as small as an email. And we can also do this at the sentence level. So no matter what, you can scale up and down, topic, details, next. That's your core organizational pattern. So we're thinking about at the sentence level, uh, topic sentence, that basically is the theme kind of of your paragraph. So I definitely will be marking for you your topic sentences on your writing so you can start getting a sense of are you providing a main theme and are you switching themes without actually creating new paragraphs and new topic sentences. So you start with your topic sentence that's like the main theme basically of what you're writing about and then you're going to give me the details then you'll transition to your next thought. Another different um, that sometimes I see students get worried about um, with our discipline is sometimes our paragraphs are quite short. Often our paragraphs are long, sometimes they're quite short, even just one or two sentences. If you ha don't have any more details to explain your topic sentence, move on to the next one. Um, so don't get too caught up in like this paragraph looks too short. Instead, I want you to focus on do you have the main topic sentence, the theme. Did you provide the details you needed to explain your theme? Did you transition to the next? And if you did all those three things and you have nothing more to say, stop writing. 
move on to your next topic, all right? So as an example, a topic sentence, I love my dog for two main reasons. He is cute and silly. So now we know the theme of this paragraph, what to expect is reasons that my dog is cute and silly. Right? So it just orients everybody to what we're about to say uh, as readers and as writers, our topic sentences tell us what we need to write about next. So the details, Gatsby's only 14 pounds, which makes him an adorable nugget. All right, adorable, cute. You use some synonyms to connect the ideas. Now we know, uh, you know, reason one, right? Because he's such a small guy, he donuts in my lab. Another kind of evidence to support the cute factor. He's silly, silly, reason number two, anchor term, because he always tries to bury his toys in his bed. Okay, right, so we knew the theme. I'm going to talk about why I think my dog is cute and silly. Here are the details that support that theme. And then we transition to the next thought. Even though he's adorable, it makes me laugh. Guess we can be a real pain at times, right? And so we can imagine then that the next theme, my next paragraph might be Gatsby's worst habit is getting in the way and stepped on, right? And then I would have details that support that topic sentence, that theme of he always gets in the way and gets stepped on, right? So topic, details, next. Every paragraph, think about what's my topic? Did it give the details? Did I transition to the next? And you can help yourself by finding some of those key anchors. In this case, it's things like cute, silly, and then finding synonyms or even repeating that same word uh, to help keep your paragraph really focused. How about a little break? And I will show you exactly a Gatsby break. Uh, and then we'll get into the second half, hang in there um, of this kind of lecture talk. All right, it's always good to take little breaks. Uh, one thing they can do to be successful in this class, as well as successful as writers, is give yourself little breaks, little rewards uh, whenever you make it through sort of one kind of focus session. So Gatsby is definitely my favorite reward. All right, so the last two things that we're going to talk about, I'm going to go through editing basics. Um, and so this is really going to be focused on, again, things that the average person, your coworkers, kind of a public audience who isn't necessarily trained in technical writing or editing are going to notice um, and kind of see as like wrong, um, as well as things that really hurt your credibility. And we know that things like editing absolutely impact your sense of credibility and how persuasive, especially your content is. Um, and so just just make sure, right, that you are being really clear. The biggest kind of thing that ends up hurting people's um, sort of a, a credibility is when people literally can't read <laughs> what it is that you're writing. Um, that is one of the hu huge factors that kind of bring some of our rhetorical power down. So we want to make sure that we first use the tools. Again, use the tools use them, check them. Sometimes, you know, spell check is wrong, um, but use them the best you can. Um, so I, I want you to use the editor in Word. All right. Hit the review panel, have it do quick spell check. You can also download other ones if you want Grammarly. There's so many out there, but like use it, check it, but use it. All right. Um, and then as I'm grading, what you're going to see is again, what will your coworkers notice, right? Did I see it? Did I catch it? What mistakes hurt the reader's ability to understand our writing, right? There will be um, a very small kind of amount of points um, related to your, your editing, your polish. It's not, oh, every single error is X points off. No, 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 not at all. Really, it's going to be my overall kind of understanding of 
how much do I think people are going to notice these issues? I might mark them for you so you know about some of the more advanced ones. Um, but really, that those points are going to come in when there's mistakes that hurt my ability to understand your writing. So that's where we really want to focus on. And there's three things that tend to do that. Uh, first, it's punctuation. So we'll go over kind of the four kind of most common and important punctuation marks. It's your actual word choice and it is your kind of flow and the logic of your sentences, your paragraphs, and the points that you're trying to make. So um, the first two, right, common, and these often create a lot of errors for folks, are periods and commas. Periods, it's that full stop at the end of a sentence is the way you can think of it. And so periods are really important uh, because as readers, we have also learned and kind of been trained to look for a period and then our brain literally takes, you know, a split of a millisecond to process that information as like that was one unit of information. Now I'm about to receive a new unit of information. And so if we don't have periods and we don't have them in the right spot and we create these run-on sentences, what actually is telling your reader's brain is we're not done with this unit of information yet. I need to keep going and processing it. Oh my gosh, when are we going to be done with this unit of information? Is this still going? Are these details relevant? How am I going to categorize it? And our brains get really worried about it. So we want to make sure that when we finish our thought, our complete sentence, our complete unit of information, that we drop that period because it literally gives everybody, your reader's brain, a little break and say, okay, that was one unit. That was one idea. Um, commas, on the other hand, separate elements in a sentence. And so where I end up marking the most and just seeing the most are run-on sentences because we place a bunch of commas that should have been periods. And again, as readers, we interpret that comma as this is an element in the same unit of info. I'm not done processing this unit of information yet. I can't categorize this information yet because it's just a comma. And so how are you going to know? The actor acts with objects. I just kind of remember that sentence, which is a full sentence, period. Um, and so the actor is the subject of your sentence. The acts is what it's doing, the verb of your sentence. And the with objects is going to be, we call it the predicate, but it's basically the rest of the details of your sentence. So anytime, right, you write down the actor acts with objects, period, full stop, you have one unit of information for your readers. Um, one thing I see a lot as well is separating the actor acting with a single comma. It just means that we were to drop uh, a comma between actor and acts. So the subject of your sentence, the main verb, the thing that they're doing, if you have one comma there, it happens people think it's like an introductory clause, but actually you are making it really hard for your reader to process that it's the actor doing that action. So it just breaks it up, breaks the flow. Most people don't understand why it's hard to process. The reason it's hard for us to read and process is because we start reading it as an introductory clause, basically something that gives extra context instead of the essential, the actor acts with objects. So just don't do that, all right? So start with your base sentence, have your period at the end, and then you can start adding on, you know, different clauses and modifiers and extra details as you need or as you really think your reader needs. There's a few examples. Um, technical writing requires attention to detail, comma, it is an important skill for any writer. So that is a run-on sentence technically called a comma splice, um, because we have two sets of the actor acts with objects. So the first one is technical writing, that's our actor, requires acts, uh, attention to detail, the objects. So technical writing requires attention to detail is one complete unit of information, period, so we can stop processing it and we can categorize and file that away. It is an important skill for any writer, is a whole nother complete unit of information. It is our subject, our actor. Um, what does it do? Well, it is, is what it's acting as, and an important skill for any writer is the extra details, sort of the objects. Um, so we would fix that by 
adding something like and, which we'll go over in a sec, or put a period, uh, or uh, we could even do a semicolon. But for now, I really push you, especially if you don't feel super confident as a writer yet, to just period. Um, it's, I think, a lot easier to go into more complicated sentences after you feel really confident with your sort of simple sentences um, than it is to try and train out and revise and fix a whole bunch of complicated and complex and compound sentences. Uh, another example, technical writing, comma, requires attention to detail. This is what I was talking about with we're now separating our actor, technical writing, from the thing it does, requires, with a single comma. Uh, and in our brains glitch out for a second as we're like, technical writing, is that just an intro? Is that context? Wait, what requires? Who requires? Suddenly it's broken up um, in our brains and it just makes it harder for people to read. So just do it straight. Technical writing requires attention to detail, comma. Um, and it is an important skill for any writer. Or technical writing requires attention to detail, period. Right. Um, you can put two commas before your verb if you do want to get a little fancy, which would be something like technical writing, comma, a form of communication focused on actions and descriptions, comma, requires attention to detail. When our brain sees two commas, it suddenly realizes, oh, everything kind of in this middle section is extra context, and now I can get back to my main Technical writing, what does technical writing do? Um, and as a side note, this is a form of a technical definition, a short sort of in-text one, um, which we will also talk about a little bit later this semester, but super helpful, super common when you do need to define a term for the audience. All right, uh, semicolons and colons. Love them, so useful. They get mixed up a lot, though. So a semicolon is the one that is the dot with a comma under it. A colon is the one that is two dots kind of on top of each other. So semicolons basically represent, and again, they represent a lot. You can learn more in the advanced editing as well as my uh, handout for kind of the grammar guide. But for most of us, the general writers, general audiences, what we need to do this semester, know that a semicolon is a half stop at the end of a sentence and basically shows closeness with the two sentences. So make sure that you have complete units of information and that they are super connected. Like they don't, they, they can stand by themselves, but they make way, way, way more sense if you read them like together. So they're very close is what that signals. Um, we can use them for a list when the internal punctuation, so all the commas, causes confusion. So, you know, for example, there are basically two ways to write with a pen or pencil comma, which is inexpensive and easily accessible, semicolon, or by computer and printer, which comma, which is more expensive, but quick and neat. So in that situation, we are listing kind of the different ways that you can write, um, but there's a bunch of commas already in there, uh, and so we can separate the two things with a semicolon um, just to kind of show. A more common example is if you have to list locations. We had students from Lima, comma, Peru, semicolon, Santiago, comma, Chile, semicolon, and Carcres, comma, Venezuela, period, right? Um, so again, if you have like cities and states or um, countries and, or like cities and countries where you're gonna have a comma in between them, uh, sometimes it's useful to have a semicolon there. Then on the other hand, colons. Again, colons are just the two dots on top of each other. They pause and are used to like introduce something or show an emphasis. So colons, don't have to have a complete unit of information on kind of the end side. So you do want to have a complete unit of information to start it, but you don't have to have one on the second side. A semicolon, you need two complete units of information that are just really closely connected. So for example, how to use a colon. Um, he got what he deserved. That's one unit of information. He got what he deserved, colon, a huge promotion. 
right? So it's just pause. It's emphasizing what he deserved. It can be very, very cool. Um, a lot of people use them to introduce a list. Just be mindful. You shouldn't use a call, a colon following a verb. So I want colon, salt, limes, and tequila would not be kind of an appropriate use of it um, because you should just say the sentence, I want salt, limes, and tequila, right? All right. Um, we have these things called fanboys. Yay. But these are basically our conjunction junction. What's your function? Um, and so the big thing just to know about these is each of those, you know, it's the short words for, so, and, or, nor, but, yet. They do have very specific um, meanings. And sometimes we get a little bit lazy in just the word choice and we end up meaning or saying something that we didn't actually mean. So I'll just run down them. For, you know, F-O-R, introduces an effect and a cause. So basically it means because. We don't see for very often because we use because. Or rather, we don't use for very often for because has replaced it. Basically, your effect comes before the cause. So is the flip. It introduces a cause and an effect, kind of as a result, right? And so where the first one is affecting cause, so is the cause and then the effect. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Uh, then we have and adds information. So just make sure that you're actually adding information with this, the next unit of info. If you're going to use and or offers a choice, nor removes alternatives. We don't see that one very often either. It's just not really used in popular writing. Uh, but offers contrast or something unexpected. Yet is very similar, but it's like it, it expresses a stronger contrast. Okay, so but and yet are both used to kind of contrast, but yet is really that like, it's like the exclamation point compared to the period. So a few examples of especially where and and but um, come into play. I see those two get interchanged the most, but it, it, it tweaks the meaning a little bit. So if we said, I submitted research um, oh my gosh, he said, I submitted research to the conference uh, and many people presented related work, right? Then it's kind of implying, okay, you submitted research um, and like all, all these other people you were kind of among, uh, a lot of really great related work. It has an implication that you, you know, attended the conference and, you know, did your presentation. But if you say, you know, I submitted research to the conference, but many people presented related work, suddenly we're getting into this, okay, so did you not get your research approved because so many other people had related work? Um, so that one kind of word choice does change the meaning of it a little bit um, to be one is more of like, yay, and, right, we're adding information. I did my research and there's all this related work and it was a great time, but suddenly has this right more contrasting. Ah, a bunch of people had similar work. Now there's a little bit more kind of negative, even a question of did you get to go to the conference or not? All right, strong verbs. Let's do it. Love strong verbs, key. We like active voice. An active voice typically is going to use more verbs compared to the rest of the sentence. Now, active voice is just placing your actor, your subject up front. Passive voice places the object of the sentence, kind of the details up first, uh, and your actor is either at the end or with passive voice, you don't even have to explicitly name the actor. Uh, passive voice is not incorrect. But with our field, with technical writing, professional writing, right, our user-focused writing, uh, it's always going to be basically wordier. So we're going to force our readers to read more than necessary. Uh, and it's going to be less clear because it's just easier to understand an actor doing something than all the details wondering who is doing it, basically. So you want to think about getting more verbs with fewer words in a single sentence. Um, and if you kind of check that, I, I will, in your work, definitely be marking often, hey, try to cut at least 
three to five words out of this sentence. And when I say to do that, it's because you're using more of a passive voice or really weak verbs. Uh, and I want you to put your actor up front and give them a very strong thing that they're doing to make your sentences more clear. So some examples. The proposal was created by the marketing team. This is passive voice because the proposal is actually the object, the details. The marketing team are the people, the actors that did the thing. And we have a one to eight kind of ratio. If we change it to active voice, the marketing team created the proposal. Suddenly we have a one to six. We've cut out two words just by swapping the order. And now we know it's the marketing team doing this proposal. Nobody's in suspense. We know what's happening. Another, the data will be analyzed by the engineers with consideration to the field standards. 1 to 14, again, data is actually the object that's getting analyzed, and we have all these actors and details later on. We could get it down to a 2 to 10 ratio instead. The engineers analyze the data by considering the field standards, or it depending on how much um, kind of specifics you need in your sentence, you could cut it maybe even further. The engineers model the data using the field standards. That's kind of a one to nine. Um, so pause as you're writing and you're editing, just pause and think, are my actors acting with details? Are my subjects up front with a nice strong verb? Or do I have all the details of the sentence first and I've put my actors at the end? If it's the latter, I want you to flip it around, get fewer words in this discipline. Do not make me read more than I need to read to understand your message. Fewer words, more verbs tend to be clearer, crisper, and easier to follow for the reader. One great way to do that is to actually check your ions. So what this means is uh, what we call nominalization, which is basically when you take a verb and you turn it into a noun. And not always, but pretty much always, um, these verbs that have been turned into nouns end in I-O-N. So it's something like, I submitted the proposal. Right? It's only four words in that sentence. Nice, crisp, you know exactly what it did. I submitted the proposal. Submitted is a great strong verb. If I turn it, if I nominalize it, suddenly I have a much longer, more complicated sentence for no reason. I sent the submission for the proposal. Right? So submit turns into submission, I-O-N. And now my sentence is longer for no reason because I turned a really great strong verb into a noun. Since we turned it into a noun, that also meant that I had to find a new verb. So instead of just saying, I submitted the proposal, I had to say, I sent the submission. So really be mindful, check to see if you have an I-O-N in your sentence. And if you do, could you just use that verb instead of having it be a noun? Here's one more example. I will examine the data versus I will perform an examination on the data. Again, we turn examine, a super amazing strong verb, into a weak noun by adding an I-O-N on it. So pause, you know, as you're revising and editing your sentences and think, am I minding my ions or, you know, can I have some stronger verbs? Um, okay, here's uh, just some... Uh, kind of key takeaways of good writing, bad writing, things that I'll be looking for um, as I'm grading your work and giving you feedback and things that I need you to look for as you're editing and revising your work. Um, so first, again, many verbs um, in a sentence usually is better writing, clearer. Um, that's what we've just been <laughs> talking about, as well as having concrete verbs. All right, and so by concrete, it's things that don't have as many like interpretations that create a better description and visual for the reader. So study is a weak verb because everyone pictures studying differently. Or if I say study, some of you might be thinking flashcards. Some of you might be thinking highlighting your notes. Some of you might be thinking re-listening to lectures or teaching others about it. And so instead of a weak verb like study, maybe you instead say, do you want to create flashcards with me? Right now, 
whoever you're talking to knows exactly what you mean. Um, so things like create plus the actual description of what you're doing can be stronger than saying study. Uh, we also want to have verbs that are descriptive compared to is, are. Um, so those sort of forms of to be um, can also be really good. So again, mind your ions and just really think, is this a good visual and description of what I actually am talking about? Um, that same thing goes for concrete nouns, same kind of principle. Things like prepositional phrases, those are all those itty bitty tiny words. So if you notice you have a lot of ins and thes and aboves and just like ofs, um, sort of two and three letter words in your sentence, that'll be another place where I probably highlight your work and say, see if you can cut three to five to, you know, seven words out of this sentence. And those are going to be those ones that you want to go to. Linked clauses, that's when you're probably using way too many commas and it's just getting muddled and confusing for everybody. Um, or yeah, um, it can be really kind of muddling and confusing. Um, and so they're kind of saying in this case, like bad writing has few clauses. I really push you to, again, start with your base. Do I have one unit of information? And then, okay, can I add some more introductory clauses? How we went back um, on that example and looked at adding that definition into the sentence, right? That would be a linked clause that is helping to add context and meaning for the reader. Active voice, we just went over. Um, and if you're using active voice, you inherently will have a better action and actor relationship. Uh, and then ultimately just Make it easy to read with one pass through. Um, the biggest thing where I stop and highlight and kind of mark on papers is if I have to reread your sentence, that means there's something not working in that sentence. Um, and so when we do things like peer editing, sometimes it's more important to note, hey, my peer got stuck on this sentence. That is super important to know. Sometimes it's more important than whatever their suggestion is. Um, and so, yeah, if you give it to somebody to read and they're like, I got a little bit tripped up here. That's a really a signal that maybe you need to change the verbs or the nouns. Maybe it's not an active voice, but something isn't very clear. So as I'm grading, you're going to see color coding on your work. Green is something great to keep doing. So if I highlight something in green, it's mean you're doing, it means you're doing some of these good writing characteristics. If I highlight something in yellow, that means that it needs to be reread or the sentence wasn't clear. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. It just means, hey, I had to reread this. I got a little bit stuck. I think we could revise this to be stronger. And then if I highlight something in red, that means it's something is distracting me from your message, from your writing, uh, or it could be an error. Whew. All right. The last thing that I want to talk to you a little bit about um, are AI, ChatGTP specifically, and some other AI writing tools. Tools are tools. And I love finding and testing and using new tools to help me express myself. Um, we actually are going to do some activities and mini projects this semester using AI to write the copy so that way we can practice editing and revising. Um, and it, I think it can be really useful. But tools have limitations. And so here's some limitations that the chat GTP creators are emphasizing and really just show why we have to go back and edit and revise. And for me, I often end up completely rewriting whatever the AI kind of created for me. Um, and so first, you know, they mentioned that chat GTP sometimes writes plausible sounding, but actually incorrect or nonsensical answers, right? So um, because it can't actually do research um, and because it is based on all these training models, sometimes it's like, not actually right. So make sure you use your, you know, critical thinking human brain power to just double check that it's saying a correct uh, thing or it has that logic to it and it makes sense. So that's the number one reason to edit and revise. Check for that. Second, um, the more times you put in like the prompts, sometimes it can kind of change things. This won't matter so much for uh, your like use of the tool, but it is just something to keep in mind. Um, if you rephrase it, sometimes that can just help with the prompts. Um, but of course, 
for us as humans, we are able to like interpret sort of misphrased things a lot more easily. Uh, the big thing for us is that the model often is often excessively verbose and overuses certain phrases, such as restating that it's a language model trained by OpenAI. Right, and so definitely that's one thing I find a lot of just like, wow, this sentence is not fun to read the first time through. And so for our genre, especially our audiences, remember we want to be direct and concise. We just want to tell them what they need to know as quickly and clearly as possible. So often if you use these tools, again, you have to go back and revise and edit to make sure that it has stronger verbs, uh, a better verb to word count ratio, that it's very active, and that it's not being overly complicated. Um, and yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, it might give you some harmful or biased or inappropriate content. So similar to just its correctness, obviously go back and make sure that it is saying what you mean to express. So let's look at some examples. Um, because the biggest thing that I see is what I call empty sentences and paragraphs with it. Our readers are focused on a task. Again, don't make them read more than they need to. And every sentence needs to advance the point, task, or topic. And so what I see a lot with um, this tool right now is that it's just really empty. By empty, it says a lot of stuff without saying a lot of stuff, right? It writes a lot of sentences, but doesn't actually say anything in those sentences. And that is the number one thing that I definitely will flag you for, um, whether you use an AI or you're just writing. If I'm like, wow, I showed the whole paragraph and I didn't actually really learn anything. You just repeated yourself a lot. You know, that's going to be definitely yellows and reds on your paper. So just make sure every sentence really advances the point and brings some new knowledge, information, interpretation. So here's a great example. Uh, so this came from ChatGTP. Um, so the prompt was like about Christopher Columbus. So some good things. They start with a pretty good topic sentence. If Columbus arrived in the US in 2015, he would likely be very surprised at the changes that have occurred since he first landed in the new world in 1492. You know, I think it's long. We could certainly cut some words out, um, but good topic sentence. Then it goes on and provides the details of the surprise that he would see and it ends with a good neck. So it does follow our really good topic details next structure. We love that. But when we really get into it, this is where that emptiness starts to come into play where editing would be really, really helpful. So first it says, you know, for one, he would probably be shocked to find out that the land he discovered was actually already inhabited by Native Americans, comma, and that now the United States is a multicultural nation with people from all over the world. So kind of first issue here, why it's a bit empty. There's no sources or specifics, really. Um, and so if I were editing this, right, we'd want to tell our reader new, more useful information, like how many registered tribal nations we have. And that could be, you know, a great citation there. Really like bolstering that it's not just, right, that he thought this was a brand new world, but like, look how many nations literally already existed here, right? It kind of builds to it. Uh, also, the second part of that about, you know, the the United States is a multicultural nation, people from all over the world. Again, they're presenting it as this would surprise him. But when we think about it more critically, right, as readers, well, he existed during our time of colonization, like our early phases, which had a lot of multicultural areas. So would a multicultural space really surprise him? I don't know. I think we could really unpack and debate and talk more about that. Also, migration patterns like from Africa, Asian Pacific, the Asian continent, all the regions of Europe have been happening for hundreds of years, even before Columbus. That was like the whole thing with the Roman Empire, right? Um, and so that's where, again, it's just kind of empty. It's like, well, does that actually make sense with the sort of thesis that we're trying to make? Uh, I would say not so much. And I would mark this paper as like, we need some more information here. All right. Um, then it goes on. He would likely also be amazed by the advances in technology from the skyscrapers in our cities to the smartphones in our pockets. Okay. Yeah. 
general tech advances. Again, pretty empty, pretty shallow. Instead, as we're editing it, maybe we say, how can we relate this back to Columbus more directly? Right? So a stronger take would be really focusing on the, you know, navigational technologies, right? He was trying to, you know, sail to all these new uncharted areas. He'd probably be really surprised that we have you know, Google Maps, so maybe getting more specific or thinking about ways that we can transport, how his journey, you know, that took months can take us hours by plane now, right? So instead of just a general tech, we'd want to be a lot more specific, actually helpful, add value, say something new. Um, and then it kind of ends with, lastly, he might be surprised to find out that many people don't view him as a hero anymore. In fact, some people argue that he was a brutal conqueror who enslaved and killed native people. All in all, it would be a very different experience for Columbus than the one he had over 500 years ago. Now, that to me is one of the more interesting kind of points that it's bringing up and could be sort of the purpose, the topic of an entire paper. And really all three of these things that it mentions could be really great and intriguing kind of research topics if it, if it were edited and expanded right into something more thoughtful. So overall, like looking at this example, I think we can see like it is a good first thought. It is a great way to get our brains thinking about a topic, thinking about avenues, right? As we kind of read through it, it was like, oh, what about this? What about that? Oh, I can research this. So I think it's really useful as a tool to kind of get us started. You might use it to start brainstorming your topics for your papers, but it certainly is too surface level and too empty. Now, I have also used Moonbeam. Um, is kind of one I've been playing with more and same limitations exist. It's shallow and it's empty. Um, so in this case, I asked it to do like an essay about like a college admissions essay kind of style. Uh, and again, as you read through, it's a lot of sentences, but I don't actually learn anything at all. Okay, so for, you know, example, it starts talking about, uh, you know, I became interested in, you know, creative nonfiction and began to explore different topics from social justice issues to personal narratives. Through this process, I was able to gain a better understanding of the world around me and express my thoughts and feelings more clearly. Cool, but like, what process and what identity did it shape and what thoughts, like, what are you actually talking about, right? So it's a lot of sentences. It goes on for like another, I mean, so it's a beefy paragraph. And basically the next six sentences all start to just um, repeat the idea that uh, furthering my education and writing was the right decision for me. I applied to colleges with a focus on writing to eventually choose one. I'm a college student who is passionate about writing. With encouragement from my family, I continue to write. Like, it just goes on and on, just repeating, I like writing, I like writing, I like writing, essentially. Um, so it's pretty shallow. But it could be, again, a great place to start to be like, oh, wait, I do have some specific examples or research or notes or thoughts about that topic that we might get into later. Okay, one last one. Um, this was also from Moonbeam. I asked it to write a how-to manual, basically, like a set of instructions to save a document as a PDF. And so just one more time, it's a good start, but it repeats the same ideas in different ways. So it says, uh, <laughs> Adobe created the PDF format in 1988 to create documents that can be viewed and printed on any device, regardless of the operating system or application used to generate them. Not bad. You can convert a Word document into a PDF by printing the document as a PDF. You can convert many types of files into PDFs, including Microsoft Word documents. Like, it literally just repeated the exact same information back to me. And that is my biggest pet peeve. I'll definitely flag things like that. Um, it's annoying for your readers. Just like, why? Why did you make me read a whole other sentence that said the same thing? You just said it in a different way. Um, and so... Just be really mindful of that if you're going to use these tools. So my kind of take is you can use these tools in my class. Like, that's fine. Again, we're going to actually use them in some of these activities. But I want you to treat 
this as a tool that helps you organize your thoughts, brainstorm ideas, kind of express some information, but it's just a tool. You have to edit it. You have to have to edit. You have to revise. You're going to have to go back and fix the wording. You're going to have to go back and cut a lot of the content and then rewrite it to actually fit your audience's What's their deal? When will they need it? Why do they need it? Um, you're going to have to fix the structure, better word choices. And then also you'll need to edit the documents for design and usability, um, which is kind of a key for us, right? Our readers want to dive right into it. And so these AI um, tools, they, they don't really do any design um, at this point. So you'll definitely have to use it for that. Um, so I like to use AI to get my big ideas into some words. I treat it kind of like an extended outline, but again, at least for me, I always end up rewriting almost all of whatever it puts out, um, because I need it to fit my audience's what, when, and why. Um, and I actually need it to reflect my thoughts, my knowledge, my sources, um, and advance the, the content forward. So it's a tool. It's cool. It exists. You can use it, but I will absolutely flag you if you don't go back and edit it and you give me a bunch of repeating empty sentences and shallow content like that will be something I flag um, and will be a problem because you're wasting your reader's time if you're not going back and editing for the actual meeting. All right. Oh. Made it. Um, thank you for sticking with me on this journey. So just recap the things that we went over. Remember the big actions, right? So as you take notes, as you read, as you listen, as you, you engage with materials, I encourage you to think of what is the big picture. In this case, our big picture is make our work as easy as possible for the readers to use. What are the actions? How do we reach that big picture? Well, we make it easy by actually writing for readers with a what is their deal? When will they use it? Why do they need it? Some organizational patterns, which will depend on your purpose and will depend on your um, readers themselves. But at the end of the day, just remember, you need to tell them the topic, the details, and next. Topic details next. What are you writing about? Give me the details of the thing. Help me move on. What do I do next? And we talked about some mechanic basics. Um, periods are great. Don't write run-on sentences. Remember, a period, an exclamation point, even a semicolon tells people, hey, this is the end of a unit of information. Process it, categorize it. Now I'm going on to a new unit of information. And get those strong verbs. The best way to improve your writing really quickly is to have more active voice. So we put our actors acting and then the rest of the details, uh, and we pick some strong verbs that really describe and help people visualize what's going on, um, rather than sort of weak verbs, tiny verbs, or vague verbs. All right, thank you so much, associates. Uh, this has been kind of that introduction on what you need to know in terms of just like editing and structure that will apply to all of our documents this semester from the shortest email to the longest, you know, well-researched report. All these things are gonna come into play. I'll see ya in class.